Hi all, welcome back to 5WH. I'm your host, Joe, and as always, I'm going to be talking about global events that are off the beaten track a bit. Covid, Trump and Brexit will hopefully appear only where necessary, and I hope you enjoy hearing about some things that most news organisations skip on over. As always, I'll be offering this to you in your 5WH format, which means we'll be addressing the questions of who, what, where, when, why and how, in no particular order, these questions should give you the bottom line up front and provide you with a good context should you choose to dig further. They also should stop me vanishing down too many rabbit holes. Today we'll be taking a look at recent European Council output, which was intended to address uh, foreign relations issues regarding Belarus and the unrest there, but became the scene of a showdown concerning tensions between Greece, Cyprus and Turkey over oil extraction rights in the territorial waters surrounding Cyprus and the Mediterranean. These particular circumstances and issues highlight some fundamental flaws within the EU and its ability to address foreign policy issues, as well as highlighting some regional tensions that are likely to cause impact going into the future. So we're going to jump on in with our what. On the 1st of October, the European Council issued a statement on external relations. The first draft of this statement, intended primarily to address the ongoing unrest in Belarus, were rejected following the opposition of Greece and Cyprus. They sought additional statements addressing Turkey's encroachment into Cypriot waters in order to explore for oil and gas before they would lend their support to the Belarus motions. The motion, as eventually passed, was modified to meet Greek and Cypriot requirements. This demonstrates the pros and cons of the unanimity requirements in certain types of EU decision-making, highlighting a key weakness with the bloc when it comes to foreign policy and internal policy uh, vis-a-vis Hungary and Poland, but that's a subject for another day. The resulting statement on the Turkey oil issue contains a couple of key points. Firstly, the European Council welcomed steps to resume talks concerning the delimitation of the continental shelf in question, you know, the conflicted area. It then uh, condemned Turkey's actions and expressed support for United Nations Security Council resolutions concerning the issue. It then provided, as all foreign policy matters eventually do, provided a carrot and a stick. The carrot was the offer to Turkey of modernised customs arrangement and support for migration in return for its compliance, and the stick was the threat under Articles 29 of the Treaty of the European Union and Article 215 Treaty of the Foundation of the European Union Uh, regarding the potential issue of sanctions against Turkey in order to impose its will. Both of these measures, interestingly, can be imposed on third countries with a qualified majority rather than uh, a complete unanimity, as was required to issue this statement. So bizarrely, we're in a situation where, from my definitely non-expert understanding, the EU is capable of imposing sanctions on a third party with a lower standard of voting than is required to simply issue this statement. Um, That's a debate for another day, I think, but it's definitely something to consider whenever you consider actions taken by the EU on the international stage. The next part of the what we need to address is what exactly it is Turkey have been doing to warrant this strongly worded letter. Simply, Turkey has sent seismic research vessels across the maritime borders agreed with both Greece and Cyprus in earlier settlements. It is worth noting additionally that these vessels are often accompanied or supported by Turkish Navy warships. Turkey asserts its right to do this on the basis that its exclusive economic zone, in which it can legally exploit resources, extends to these areas. 
Cyprus and Greece strongly disagree. This in turn leads to another follow-on question, what is an EEZ? Well, the exclusive economic zone is an area extending up to 200 nautical miles from a nation's coastline, as defined by the United Nations Convention on Laws of the Sea, which I will be abbreviating in further usage as UNCLOS. Within this zone, a state has the right to exploit marine resources ahead of other potential users. This may include fish, offshore oil and gas, or the establishment of wind farms and other similar measures. The UNCLOS system states that where multiple nations have overlapping claims, they should sort it out by mutual agreement. In most cases, this leads to any given point belonging to the closest state. So in context, this would mean that UNCLOS suggests that maritime boundaries between Greece, Cyprus and Turkey should be drawn at a roughly equidistant point between the states in question. So as a result of this, we're looking at a situation where Turkey is arguing that its actions are legal, that the 200 nautical mile EEZ extends into these waters and that the Turkish vessels, Turkish interests, therefore have the right to exploit resources in that area. However, and this is not legal advice, if you are a nation-state listening to my podcast, please consult actual lawyers who understand this. But my take on this is that UNCLOS specifically requires agreements to be made where claims overlap. Turkey is clearly operating in a manner that it completely ignores the agreements it has in place with Greece and Cyprus. I would suggest, therefore, it's not exactly a massive reach to state that Turkey is in breach of its international obligations and therefore acting illegally. Thankfully, for those of you who don't trust my legal insight, you can take the EUs as well. They're uh, pretty happy it's illegal and their statement says so. We now get to jump into addressing the WHO. Firstly, I think we need to sum up when we talk about the EU, what particular body we're talking about. The body that's issued this memorandum on behalf of the European Union is the European Council. This should definitely not be confused with the Council of Europe. The European Council is a part of the European Union, whereas the Council of Europe has nothing to do with the European Union. Happy with that? Clear as mud? Brilliant. Cool. The Council consists of the heads of state or government of all 27 EU member states, rounded out by a council president elected by the other members of the council, and the president of the European Commission. The role of this council is to define the general political direction and priorities for the EU. It is not intended to conduct day-to-day -day operations and is much more a strategic body. Generally, they meet in summits approximately once a quarter. From this perspective, then, their statement condemning Turkey's actions and suggested actions for the EU are likely to be the framework within which the Commission, which forms the EU civil service, operate in the coming months with regards to this issue. We then, as one of the aggrieved parties, have Cyprus. Cyprus is a mostly Greek-speaking republic on the island of, and I'm sure you've guessed it, Cyprus, located in the eastern Mediterranean. While the entire island is claimed as part of the republic, and therefore part of the EU, Turkey exercises de facto control over the northern part of the island, with a UN-administered buffer zone dividing the two parts. It's worth noting as well that Cyprus is the EU's smallest member state, uh, yet was still able to exercise an effective veto over EU foreign policy announcements, re-Belarus. We then also have Turkey as the uh, more belligerent partner in this scuffle. Turkey is an autocratic republic, which is often seen as providing the cultural and geographical link between Europe and the Middle East. 
As mentioned in an earlier pod, Caucasian Chaos, Turkey's current president slash wannabe dictator Recep Erdogan is channeling a neo-imperial and nationalist policy platform. This in turn requires Turkey to attempt to dominate the near abroad. Given these political imperatives and a um, somewhat erratic economy, control over extractable resources nearby has the potential to greatly assist the country and support the regime, uh, and in turn provides the incentive for them to ignore international norms. We also need to address the role Greece has in this little kerfuffle. Greece generally has the same broad issues with Turkey that Cyprus has. The only reason I'm tagging them on the end here is that Greece appears to have been somewhat less intransigent with regards to blocking EU motions compared to Cyprus. However, fundamentally, everything I've said prior to this applies. So now it's time to come on to the when. I'm going to deal with this both via ancient history and what's going on now. So with regards to said ancient history, there have been intermittent spats between Greece and Turkey, with Cyprus sort of on the edges, since the 1970s. The hot spots of this ongoing conflict were in 1987 and 1996, where the two parties were on the verge of war, however managed to climb down with some international assistance. No formal agreement has ever actually been made between the parties in any effort to delimitate their maritime claims. Additionally, Turkey is not an UNCLOS signatory, so there is a fundamental disagreement about you know, the position from which these two sides are approaching the issue. On 30th of July 2020, a Turkish survey vessel with military escorts commenced surveys in Cypriot waters, recommencing a pattern of activity that had been ceased for the previous few months. On the 10th of August, another Turkish survey vessel commenced searches into Greek waters, again recommencing a pattern of activity that had ceased several months previously. Two days after that, on the 12th of August 2020, a Greek frigate collided with a Turkish warship which was escorting the seismic vessel inside Greek contested waters. Of this uh, incident, the Turkish frigate appears to have come off worse, with the Greek frigate continuing to conduct uh, routine and planned exercises over the following weeks. On the uh, 1st and 2nd of October 2020, the European Council held a special summit uh, to address external relations, as well as a general sweep-up of internal concerns and, I hate to say it, Brexit. The statement was then issued, well, a, a brief statement was issued on both the 1st and the 2nd as a sum-up, but the complete summary was issued on the 2nd of October, which you know I've quoted from to some detail in the introduction. We now get to crack on to the where, and we've got two wares to address. One is very succinct, the other has a touch more detail to it. So we'll start with the quickie. The European Council met in Brussels, Belgium, which is one of the EU's two capitals, the other being Strasbourg. Not meaning to cause any offence to Belgians listening, but I think that's all there is to say at this point. We then get to move on to the epicentre of the conflict in question, which is the Eastern Mediterranean and the Aegean Seas, specifically where they border Turkey. As mentioned above, Turkey is located at the physical and cultural crossroads between the Europe and the Middle East. It has land borders with Bulgaria and Greece to its northwest. Its entire western and southwestern flanks comprise of the Aegean and Mediterranean seas, with Cyprus nestled close in underneath to the, on it, under its southern belly. Further land borders with Syria and Iraq are also to its southern edge once, once we uh, rejoin land again. 
The Aegean, between Greece and Turkey, is made particularly complicated due to the large number of islands, uh, which complicates any effort to calculate an EEZ or any other maritime territorial claim, regardless of Turkey's UNCLOS compliance or otherwise. The Med, in the more southerly direction, is less jam-packed, but is home to Cyprus, a sovereign state in its own right, which obviously is where these claims stem from. And finally, we get to address the why and the how. As I think I've done a couple of times before, we're going to merge these sections as they, they do sort of fit together. And I think we can divide it up into two main sections. Why the spats? And then why did it become such an issue at the European Council? So we'll start by why are we having these spats? And let's not lie to ourselves here. The maritime environment between Turkey, Greece and Cyprus is complex. Even if all sides had a common legal understanding, there would be legitimate points of contention regarding the islands and similar. However, in this case, Turkey's non-signatory status regarding UNCLOS and the absence of any settlement agreements or treaties is the underlying basis for the confusion conflict around this area. Additionally, Turkey's recent, by which I mean last, the last five or ten years, uh, swing towards political authoritarianism disincentivizes any attempt to seek a negotiated settlement. If, as Recep Erdogan has, you build your political base on a combination of being a strongman in a zero-sum game and sort of religious hardline policies, it's hard to show any compromise, as you would expect from a negotiated settlement, as a grown-up adult achievement. This makes it politically untenable for him to seek these options at home. We've then got the obvious issue of resources. Despite the world's increasing move towards green energy, oil and gas still prop up numerous economies in the world. The Turkish economy is flagging, or unstable at best, so the attempt to uh, survey the waters around Greece and Cyprus can be seen bluntly as part of a resource grab in order to prop up the Turkish economy. We also have to look at some other issues uh, pertaining to the wider geopolitical situation. Now, although the issue at question relates to seismic survey looking for oil and gas, I think it would be excessively naive to think that's all that's at play. Turkey is keen to demonstrate that it can exhibit its power over the wider region. It's currently supporting various factions in conflict in Syria, Iraq, Nagorno-Karabakh, as per my last episode, and in Libya. From this perspective, the use of armed vessels to escort seismic survey vessels is literally showboating and parading around. Uh, by creating an environment in which Turkish vessels and activities go unchallenged, it will then become a political norm in which they can conduct further activities, and I think this is the end state Erdogan and his government are aiming for. We then get to address the issue of why this cropped up at the European Council's extraordinary meeting. Now, shocking as it may seem, I was not privy to the machinations leading up to the Council meeting. However, the media reporting that I did see suggested that a key part of the external relations section was to be addressing the unrest in Belarus, which obviously has been going on for a few months, and the EU still needs to establish a, a meaningful and coherent stance on, and also the Armenia-Azerbaijan conflict, which I covered last episode. Again, a live, very current, very serious issue that does need to be addressed. The Cyprus Med issue was going to be raised, however, my understanding of it was that it was going to be a much more, you know, softly worded, we condemn Turkey, would like them to come to the negotiating table sort of statement. Um, and this was quite firmly held up. 
when Greece and Cyprus refused to vote in favour of the Belarus and uh, Azerbaijan issues unless the language used to address Turkey was escalated in severity. Now, how this happened, or why the European Union adjusted their statement to uh, match these powers is quite interesting. Neither Cyprus nor Greece are particularly thought of as powerhouses within the EU. Indeed, Cyprus is the smallest member, and Greece's relationship with Brussels is often tumultuous, shall we say, um, especially going back to the financial crisis in and around 2008. However, they were able to hold up the whole European Council system uh, due to the nature of the decision-making system used by the EU. So, typically, the European Council uses consensus to agree. However, certain types of decisions require either unanimity or a qualified majority uh, to, to issue a statement or make a decision or to enact something. In this case, addressing the foreign policy concerns via this statement required unanimity, and this allowed Greece and Cyprus, again, need to repeat this, fairly small countries in the scheme of things, to hold up the decision-making of a block of 500 million people and one of the largest combined economies on Earth until their concerns were addressed. So, by means of conclusion, I guess, I think this issue is really interesting because it demonstrates how various global events collide with and magnify each other. It also demonstrates the pros and cons to membership of international blocs such as the EU, in that they magnify the concerns of their members, they allow those members to stand up to domineering neighbours, they allow their interests to be magnified and raised on the world stage. However, they also come at the cost, in some cases, of more moving parts which can go wrong, particularly when all parties need to work with each other, as exemplified by the fact that Cyprus and Greece were able to hold up action on an entirely unrelated topic in order to raise their, you know, their own unique issues. This is not necessarily a weakness, it is an inherent part of realpolitik, a quid pro quo, as you could say, and, and that's how foreign policy works. Um, but it does highlight that that balance in the EU is complex. I think it also raises a few issues that it's quite easy to miss in the, in the West, or at least in the circles that I move, that we assume the world is moving in the direction of nuclear energy, green energy, wind turbines, dams, you know, hydroelectric, whatever. P pick your alternative energy source. However, for a lot of regimes around the world, the domination and control of hydrocarbon resources remains essential to their operation as states, and they are willing to push themselves to the brink of conflict in order to gain access to those resources. Otherwise, that pretty much wraps up what I've got to say, so thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, please hit the like, follow, subscribe buttons or, or whatever options you have on your preferred podcasting platform. And I'd love, if, love it for you to join me on Facebook if you just search 5WH. I'd love to see you there. Otherwise, thanks a lot and see you soon. Goodbye.